Hello, friends, and welcome to the In Layman's Term podcast. My name is Matthew Garnett, and I am a layman who wants to take you deeper into the scriptures. And hopefully along the way, we can help some of you pastors out there understand what your people are hearing and thinking as they listen to you preach God's word. The idea here is we tell you pastors what you want to know about your preaching, but we're too afraid to ask. In an effort to make our broadcast a little more user-friendly, family-friendly, you may have noticed we've made a name change. If you're looking for a broadcast that used to have God speaking through a donkey or some such thing, don't panic. You're in the right place. We are still the same purveyors of fine biblical discernment, apologetics, and sermon analysis you have come to know and love. So welcome to In Layman's Terms. Be sure to check us out every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Pirate Christian Radio. Just direct your web browser to www.piratechristian.com. And as always, you can catch our podcast stream at our new web address, www.laymanstermsradio.org. That's L-A-Y-M-A-N-S-T-E-R-M-S-R-A-D-I-O. Layman's Terms Radio.org. And as always, be sure to check us out at PirateChristian.com. All right, friends, we are going to do a summer of 2016 apologetics series here for the next few weeks. Uh, here on the In Layman's Terms broadcast, we're going to play for you and break down and analyze and define terms for you a debate between uh, Greg Bonson versus Gordon Stein. And if, and if you want to just go listen to this debate even before I analyze and break down the terms, that's perfectly fine. Uh, Greg Bonson's name is spelled B-A-H-N-S-E-N, and that's uh, Gordon Stein spelled just like it stands, Greg Bonson versus Gordon Stein. And uh, this was a debate done many years ago, uh, but it's still a classic debate. And what what, uh, Greg Bonson does in this debate is he employs what has come to be known as uh, presuppositional apologetics. And and basically, here's how this works, and and I'm going to point this out as we go through this debate. But the idea is uh, based on Psalm 14.1, where it says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And what Greg Bonson does is he pretty much puts that challenge to Dr. Stein, the entire debate. And here's how it works. Basically, what he is saying to Dr. Stein in this entire debate is that he has no basis or premise from which to make a logical argument. And so here's how this kind of goes down. If there is no God, then basically the laws of logic and reason are man-made and made up. So when someone says, let's have a debate with no God – You really can't have a debate because the laws of logic and reason don't have to apply. They're not universal. Now, of course, a couple of guys can get together and say, okay, well, let's agree on these sets of rules of logic and reason. 
and have a debate based on those. But at the end of the day, no one is really obligated to abide by the by the rules of logic and reason because they're based on man. And essentially, it comes down to this. Um, if you have atheist friends or unbelieving friends, the biggest question you can ask them is, how do you know that? They'll say, well, I don't believe this or that or the other thing. Okay, fine. How do you know that? Well, I believe in, you know, I cite science. Science has shown us that man has evolved from apes over millions of years. Oh, okay. So you're trusting a man's word. You're trusting science's word to construct your worldview, right? How do they know that? Oh, well, they've done scientific studies and that sort of thing. Oh, okay. So you're saying that their scientific studies are, you, you see where I'm going with this. At the end of the day, if knowledge and logic is rooted in a man, then we can always ask the question, how do you know that? Right? That's a good question to ask unbelievers, by the way. How do you know that? I mean, just in, in the normal course of conversation with people, how do you know that? Who told you that? How do you know that that's true? How do you know that you can ultimately trust that and ultimately stake your life, your eternal destiny on something that a man has come up with? At the end of the day, they're trusting in a man to tell them what is true and what is false. And that's exactly what Greg Bonson points out to Dr. Stein in this entire debate. He just keeps hammering this home and you're going to see what I'm talking about. All right. If our knowledge and wisdom is not based in a, a final cause in, in an unmovable mover, which is God to whom the, to whom uh, our, our, uh, our wisdom, our intellect, our, uh, reasoning, our understanding can appeal to and say, okay, God said this, therefore it has authority then at the end of the day, you're just putting your faith and hope in a man. That's really all there is. And, and that's the biggest difference between those who are unbelievers and believers. We believe that God has the ultimate authority as believers. The other, the unbelievers believe that man has the, the ultimate uh, answers. And so that's really where the debate boils down. And what uh, what Greg Bonson is, is going to point out here time and again is that why should I believe or why should I have to follow your rules of logic and reason if there is no God? And, and in fact, he points this out many times during the debate. Why should I be adhering to your rules of logic and reason because you say so, <laughs> right? I mean, I can appeal to my own rules of logic and reason if that's what the deal is. And the same thing goes for morality. That's why the moral argument for God works so well, because one person could say, well, I believe the highest good is to increase pleasure and de decrease pain. The next person can come along and say, well, that's what you think. I think the highest good is for me to cause pain to everybody else in favor of my own pleasure. You see, and what what authority can you appeal to to refute that argument? OK, you kind of see this as it goes along, goes along, but it's but it's called presuppositional because it presupposes that what the scriptures are saying are indeed are indeed God's voice, and that that is the that is the ultimate authority to which we are appealing as believers. You see, so when your unbelieving friend says blah blah blah, I believe that man evolved from apes, 
You say, how do you know that? Well, evolution, you know, Darwin teaches us this and science has confirmed it. Okay, so you're you're putting your faith and trust in science, basically the research of men, that's that's your authority. Okay, why should I believe that? Why should I trust in what man has discovered in their wisdom? That's why Psalm 14.1 teaches us so beautifully, the fool says in his heart there is no God, because they can't appeal to any higher authority than men. All right? And that's the crux of the argument. We're appealing to the ultimate authority as believers. And that's where uh, that's where Greg Bonson is going to take this. So let's get into this. I'll try to define some terms for you. I mean, this is a heady uh, debate. It's very philosophical in nature. Um, there's some terms you might not understand. I'll try to unpack those for you as best I can. Uh, but this is going to last a few episodes, maybe uh, at least two, maybe three, maybe even four. Uh, but let's get cracking on it and see how it goes. Here we go. A mighty fortress is our guide. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flight. Of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe. Death seek to work us woe, his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. And on earth is not his equal. I'd like to introduce each speaker to you now, let you know a little bit more about their biographical background. Dr. Greg Bonson holds the Master of Divinity and the Master of Theology from Westminster Theological Seminary, as well as a Ph.D. in Philosophy from the University of Southern California. He has fulfilled professorship at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and at Ashland Theological Seminary in Ohio. He is a member of the Evangelical Theological Society, the Society of Christian Philosophers, the American Philosophical Society, as well as an advisory board member of the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy. Dr. Bonson has published numerous articles on apologetics, ethics, and Christian theology, as well as four scholarly books. Dr. Bonson is currently the pastor of Covenant Community Church, located in Placentia, California, and resides in the Orange County area with his wife, Kathy, and his four children. Debating Dr. Bonson this evening will be Dr. Gordon Stein. Dr. Gordon Stein received a Ph.D. from Ohio State University, he has established himself as one of America's foremost scholars of atheism. He is currently the president of the American Rationalist Federation, president of the Free Thought Association, member of the board of directors of the North American Committee for Humanism, vice president Pacific of the Freedom from Religion Foundation, and vice president of Atheists United. Dr. Stein has authored five leading books, two pamphlets, one of which, by the way, is entitled How to Argue with a Theist and Win. <laughs> as well as several scholarly articles. He is also the editor of the American Rationalist Journal and the associate editor of Free Inquiry Magazine. Having introduced both speakers to you, we will now begin this evening's debate. The resolution before us is in the form of an interrogative, a question. Does God exist? Dr. Bonson, I'll now ask for your 15-minute opening statement, please. Thank you, David. I want to begin this evening with three opening and introductory remarks about the nature of the debate itself. 
First of all, it's necessary at the outset of our debate to define our terms, that's always the case. And in particular here, I should make it clear what I mean when I use the term God. I want to specify that I'm arguing particularly in favor of Christian theism and for it as a unit or system of thought and not for anything like theism in general. And there are reasons for that, three. Uh, the various conceptions of deity found in the world of religions are, in most cases, logically incompatible, leaving no unambiguous sense to general theism, whatever that might be. Secondly, I have not found the non-Christian religions to be philosophically defensible, each of them being internally incoherent or undermining human reason and experience. And thirdly, since I am, by the grace of God, a Christian, I cannot from the heart adequately defend those religious faiths with, with which I disagree. My commitment is to the triune God and Christian worldview based on God's revelation in the Old and New Testament. Okay, so that's a very important setup there <clears throat> that Dr. Bonson is giving us. He is going to defend the Christian God. And friends, when you're doing apologetics with folks, you, you're going to get into huge morass on this stuff if you try to to defend deism. Um, I just don't agree with that approach to apologetics. This is one component of the presupp- presupp- presuppositional idea of apologetics is that you defend the Christian God. You cannot defend any other religion's notion of God, including deism. All right. You're not going to defend God in general. You're, you're, you're going to fall off a cliff, which where you'll never hit the bottom. You've got to defend the Christian God. And that is uh, Dr. Bonson's most brilliant move here. He is going to defend the true God, the triune God from the scriptures. That's what your focus needs to be. Okay, so and and he's going to show us how to do that. All right. So don't start with the presupposition that you need to defend the existence of some God, some deity. I I think that's a futile effort. I know there are many out there who who do this. Um, They're called evidential uh, apologists. And I think they just get they just get twisted up by anybody who comes along because. To defend God from that standpoint uh, puts you in a great disadvantage. Let's just put it that way. So the basic point is you want, you want to defend the true God, the triune God, the Christian God. All right. He's not going to defend deism. He's not going to defend Buddhism. He's not going to defend Confucianism, Islam, or anything else. He's going to defend the Christian God. That's a really important thing. And that's when you start talking to your friends and you and you want to evangelize them, you want to share the gospel with them, that is a critical point. You're saying, hey, I'm not defending anybody else's understanding of God, including the deists. What I'm defending is the Christian understanding of God from the Old and New Testament. That is critical, and we'll see why as we go on. Let's continue. Well, first, then I'm defending Christian theism. Secondly, I want to observe, and we should indicate just what it is and is not at issue in the debate on the basis of which we hope you'll consider the debate. It must be made clear that we are debating about philosophical systems 
not the people who adhere to or profess them. Our concern is with the objective merits of the case which can be made for atheism or Christian theism, not related subjective or personal matters. Okay, that's another important point. What he's what essentially what he's saying there is that we're not talking about Christians. So in other words, an argument that would say, oh, well, you know, we can't believe in Christianity because the Christians themselves don't adhere to what they profess to believe. There's the Crusades. There's the witch hunts. There's modern day Christians who don't live up to the standards to which they profess to believe. That is an argument that is completely uh, removed from what Dr. Bonson is arguing here. He's not basing his arguments on subjective experience. He is not saying, well, because these people live a certain way or because they adhere to a certain set of beliefs, therefore Christianity is true. No, he is going to do this objectively. And here's your Latin term for the debate, extra nos. The evidence comes from us outside of ourselves. So to look, so in other words, this is what, this is the argument I often hear is that, I'm not a Christian because I used to go to this church and this is how they treated me. And therefore, because they treated me poorly, I am no longer a Christian. That's not an argument for no longer being a Christian. See, you certainly are valid in under in feeling that you've been mistreated by a certain Christian community. That is a valid um, experience. It is. But it is not a valid argument to debunk the entire worldview or the entire belief system. You've got to look at the facts of the belief system in order to to determine its truth or falsehood. You can't base it on how somebody else is, quote, living it out. That's what Dr. Bonson is trying to point out here. Okay, so he's he's already setting stuff up here. He's already saying, you know what, I'm not going to debate. Deism with you. I'm not going to debate other religions with you. I'm going to debate Christianity, and I'm go- I'm going to debate it on objective, on the objective claims that Christianity makes, not on how those claims have been carried out subjectively. In other words, from the from the person's standpoint, maybe I ought to define those terms. Subjective means something from inside yourself. Objective means something outside of yourself. Okay. Christians in certain church bodies live out their faith in certain ways. That's not what Dr. Bonson is basing his arguments on. He is basing his arguments on the external word, the scriptures, uh, which describe for us what the Christian faith is about. Okay, so he's not going to be sucked into any arguments that um, uh, involve any other world religions, including deism. He's not going to be sucked into any arguments which uh, would say that, well, you know, look what Christianity has done. It produced the Crusades. It did this. It did that. And look how Christian people live today. He's not going to be sucked into those arguments. He wants to debate the objective claims that come from the scriptures about God. That's what he's setting up here. Let's continue. And again, I have three reasons for illustrations of this. The personalities of those individuals who adhere to different systems of thought are not really relevant to the truth or falsity of the claims made by those systems. 
atheists and Christians can equally be found emotional, unlearned, intolerant, or rude in their approaches. Uh, secondly, subjective claims made about the experience of inner satisfaction or peace, claims that are made originally by both Christians and atheists in their literature, and promotional claims made about the superiority of Christianity for atheism, for instance, some atheist literature suggests that greater mental health comes through the independence of the atheist outlook. These sorts of things are always subject to conflicting interpretations and explanations, being, I think, more autobiographical rather than telling us anything for sure about the truth of the system under consideration. Thirdly, the issue is not whether atheists or professing Christians have ever done anything undesirable or morally unacceptable. One need only think respectively of the atheist involvement in the reign of terror in the French Revolution and the professing Christian involvement in the Spanish Inquisition. Now, the question is not whether adherents of these systems serve live spotless lives, but whether atheism or Christian theism as philosophical systems are objectively true. And so I'll be defending Christian theism, and I'll be defending it as a philosophical system. And my last introductory remark is simply to the effect that I want to concede to my opponent all issues pertaining to the control of ovarian maturation in Japanese quail. Okay, the subject of his doctoral dissertation in 1974 at Ohio State. <laughs> Dr. Stein is a man of intelligence, and that's not in question in this debate. I would not pretend to hold my own in a discussion with him of the empirical details of his narrow domain of specialized natural science. However, our subject tonight is really much different, calling for intelligent reflection upon issues which are philosophical or theological in character. For some reason, Dr. Stein has, over the last decade, left his field of expertise and given his life to a campaign for atheism. Whatever his perception of the reason for that, I do not believe that it is because of any genuinely cogent philosophical case which might be made for atheism as a worldview. And it's to this subject which I now turn for tonight's debate. My opening case for the existence of God will cover three areas of thought. They are Okay, let me just hold up right there for a second and, and go back. This this is a really subtle <laughs> move that, that Dr. Bonson is making here. Basically, what he's saying is that um, Dr. Stein's area of expertise is not religion and philosophy. That's the point he's making, right? I mean, this is a shot. <laughs> this is a real shot at Dr. Stein. Um, and and it's and you're gonna you're gonna see this. And this is what I found. This is what I always find astonishing about debates between Christians and atheists. You know, at the higher levels, especially, is that you've got a Christian who knows his stuff who knows religion and philosophy, basically debating somebody who is not an expert in religion and philosophy. And Dr. Stein is not an expert in religion and philosophy. And you're going to see that come through here. And Dr. Bonson is already pouring salt in that wound. All right. Uh, this is a vicious debate. It really is. I have to warn you. <laughs> it really is. Um, uh, Dr. Bonson pulls no punches and, and Dr. Stein is ju is just it, it's brutal. It's brutal. And this was the first shot, uh, not even across the bow, but right into uh, the bridge of his ship. Uh, he's he's basically saying that uh, Dr. Stein is not qualified uh, to discuss these matters because his area of expertise is not in religion and philosophy. Um, <laughs> brutal point, but a true point 
and uh, he he's already setting up Doctor Stein for uh, for some fun here. Let's continue. The nature of evidence, the presuppositional conflict of worldviews, and finally the transcendental argument for God's existence. Okay, now catch that the the presuppositional. He already brought up that word, and that is what he's going to argue all night long. And Dr. Stein is not going to have a single answer for it. Basically, what Dr. Bronson is going to continually ask him over and over again is, how do you know that? You are basing your arguments on man-made inventions. I'm basing my arguments on what God has said. That's that's the argument that Dr. Bronson is going to make. And, and he, I mean, it sounds simplistic, but but really... That's what it boils down to is Dr. Stein has put his faith and trust in the arguments of other men. And the question remains, how do they know that? How do they know that's true? What man do we have among us that we can trust as the ultimate authority? Again, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the reason he's foolish is because he puts his trust in the word, in the research, in the science of men. And there is no higher authority than man. That's a shaky foundation, I would say. All right, let's continue on. First of all, the nature of evidence. How should the difference of opinion between the theist and the atheist be rationally resolved? What Dr. Stein has written indicates that he, like many atheists, is not reflected adequately on this question. He writes, and I quote, The question of the existence of God is a factual question and should be answered in the same way as any other factual question. End of quote. The assumption that all existence claims are questions about matters of fact The assumption that these are all answered in the very same way is not merely oversimplified and misleading. It is simply mistaken. The existence, factuality, or reality of different kinds of things is not established or disconfirmed in the same way in every case. We might ask, is there a box of crackers in the pantry? And we know how we would go about answering that question. But that is a far, far cry from the way we go about answering a question in real, uh, determining the reality of, say, barometric pressure, quasars, gravitational attraction, elasticity, radioactivity, natural laws, names, grammar, numbers, the university itself that you're now at, past events, categories, future contingencies, laws of thought, political obligations, individual identity over time, causation, memories, dreams, or even love or beauty. In such cases, one does not do anything like walking through the pantry and looking inside for the crackers. There are thousands of existence or factual questions, and they are not at all answered in the same way in each case. Just think of the differences in argumentation and types of evidence used by biologists, grammarians, physicists, mathematicians, lawyers, logicians, mechanics, merchants, and artists. It should be obvious the type of evidence which one looks for in existence or factual claims will be determined by the field of discussion and especially by the metaphysical nature of the entity mentioned in the claim under question. Dr. Stein's remarks that the existence 
of uh, God is answered, the question of the existence of God is answered in the same way as any other factual question, mistakenly reduces the theistic question to the same level as a box of crackers in the pantry, which we will hereafter call the crackers in the pantry fallacy. <laughs> Secondly, then I'd like to talk about the presuppositional conflict of worldview. Dr. Stein has written about the nature of evidence in the theistic debate, and what he has said points to a second philosophical error of significant proportion. In passing, we would note how unclear he is, by the way, in speaking of the evidence which must be used, describing it variously as logic, fact, or reason. Each of these terms is susceptible to a whole host of differing senses, not only in philosophy, but especially in ordinary usage, depending on who's using the terms. I take it he wishes to judge hypotheses in the common sense by test of logical coherence and empirical observation. The problem arises when Dr. Stein elsewhere insists that every claim which someone makes must be treated as a hypothesis which must be tested by such evidence before accepting it. There is to be nothing, he says, which smacks of begging the questioner circular reasoning. This, I think, is oversimplified thinking, and again misleading, what we might call the pretended neutrality fallacy. One can see this by considering the following quotation from Dr. Stein, and I quote, The use of logic or reason is the only valid way to examine the truth and falsity of the statement which claims to be factual. That's the end of the quote. One must eventually ask Dr. Stein then how he proves this statement itself. That is, how does he prove that logic or reason is the only way to prove factual statements? And there it is. That's that's the presuppositional argument in a nutshell. How do you know that? Facts, reason, logic can only be proved by da 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 da. Okay, fine. How do you know that? On what basis are you making that argument? And the best Dr. Stein can come up with is, well, this is what a bunch of men got together and agreed were the basis for argument. Okay, you see see where this is going? He's going to hammer this point home all night long. And, And Dr. Stein has no answer for it. The only basis for which he is making his logical, reasoned arguments is himself. He has no other higher authority to appeal to from which to make said arguments. Again, the fool in his the fool says in his heart there there is no God. And the reason that is is because a fool bases his knowledge of truth, his knowledge of logic, his his knowledge of reason on a man. And the Christian worldview bases those things on an ultimate end, which is God. That's the point uh, that he's making here. And uh, and um, heed Dr. Bronson's words here. Again, when you're talking with somebody, always ask them, always ask, this is a great question. How do you know that? You just made a statement of truth. You just made a statement of propositional truth. Even the statement, there is no truth, is a statement of propositional truth. How do you know that? Who told you that? And why do you believe them? Why are you trusting 
that person or that group of people for that nugget of truth. There is no truth. That is a propositional truth statement. All right. And the only way out of this is God. And that is the the argument that Dr. Bronson is is building. And he's going to hammer this home through the whole debate. And and it's going (laughs) to, it's going to leave Dr. Stein just spinning in the wind. He just has no answer for that. He doesn't, he can't answer that. He, all he can say is, well, this is what we've come up with and you should trust us. Why should we trust you? Okay. I just want you guys to see that. Follow the, follow along with this. This is an important argument. How do you know this? Why should I trust you? Why should I trust your words? All right. He's now on the horns of a real epistemological dilemma. If he says that the statement is proven by logic or reason, then he's engaging in circular reasoning and he's begging the question, which he's constantly forbids. If he says that the statement is proven in some other fashion, then he refutes the statement itself, that logic or reason is the only way to prove things. And my point is not to not to fault Dr. Stein's commitment to logic or reason, but to observe that it actually has the nature of a pre-commitment or a presupposition. It is not something he has proven by empirical experience or logic, but it is rather that by which he proceeds to prove everything else. Okay, that's that's the crux of the presuppositional argument. And, and sorry for, for breaking um, uh, Dr. Bonson's arguments up here. Um, and, and again, go listen to this debate in its entirety. That's the best way to do it. Uh, perhaps, maybe even ask after my commentary here, but but look, the point Dr. Bonson is making is that that uh, Dr. Stein is going to argue from a presupposition. He's going to argue from the presupposition that man has been able to come up with laws of logic, science, reason, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and that is the that is the basis, that is the presupposition from which we should argue truth. Dr. Bonson is going to say, no, that's not adequate. It's, I can't trust you as a man. If anything, history has proven to us is that we can't trust the arguments of men. I'm going to argue from a different presupposition. The presupposition, namely, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The, the, the presupposition that St. Paul argues from in Romans, that the unrighteous suppress the truth in their unrighteousness that there is a God and that again, let's just presuppose, let's just um, imagine for a second, for the sake of argument that there is a God. Why would you want to base your arguments on men when there is a God upon which you can base your arguments? You see, you see where this is going to see the strength of the two presuppositions. When somebody who is an unbeliever argues against you. They're ar- arguing with the presupposition that men have the capacity to bring us to truth. You're arguing from the presupposition that there is a God and he has the ability, the authority and the will to teach us truth. Which presupposition is stronger? That's what Dr. Bonson is getting after here, right? It's pretty cool. So, one says, well, we're going to argue for men because that's all we have. We're saying, no, there's there's a God. 
And we're going to argue from the presupposition to God. Why is one more valid than the other? That's, that's the other thing that Dr. Bonson is going to bring out. Why is the presupposition that we get all of our truth from men any more valid than the argument that we get all of our truth from God? Okay, that's what he's going to press in on. Give me the evidence that shows us that basing our understanding of truth and the way we should perceive and act in our world based on men is is more valid than basing our presuppositions on the existence of God. And that, and that's kind of some of the arguments that Dr. Bonson is going to bring out here. Look what's happened when we've based our understanding of this world and truth on the opinions of men, on the research of men, on the science of men. Look what's happened. And in contrast, look what's happened when we've based our presuppositions on God. It's a powerful argument. All right. So let's let's continue here and, and try to get through some of this. He is not presuppositionally neutral in his approach to factual questions and disputes. He does not avoid begging crucial questions rather than proving them in what we might call the garden variety, ordinary way. Now, this tendency to beg crucial questions is openly exposed by Dr. Stein when the issue becomes the existence of God, because he demands that the theists present him with evidence for the existence of God. Now, theists like myself would gladly and readily do so. There is the evidence of the created order itself, testifying to the wisdom, power, plan, and glory of God. One should not miss the testimony of the solar system, the persuasion of the sea, the amazing intricacies of the human body. There's the evidence of history, God's deliverance of his people, the miracles of Passover night in the Red Sea, the visions of Isaiah, the Shekinah glory in the temple, the virgin birth of Jesus, his mighty miracle, his resurrection from the dead. There's the evidence of special revelation. The wonder of the Bible is God's word, unsurpassing its coherence over time and its historical accuracy and its life-renewing power. In short, there is no shortage of empirical indicators or evidences of God's existence, from the thousand stars of the heavens to the 500 witnesses of Christ's resurrection. But Dr. Stein precludes the very possibility of any of this empirical evidence counting as proof of God's existence. He writes, and now I quote, Supernatural explanations are not allowed in science. The theist is hard put to document his claim through the existence of the supernatural if he is, in, in effect, forbidden from invoking the supernatural as a part of his explanation. Of course, this is entirely fair as it would be begging the question to use what has to be proved as a part of the explanation. End of quote. Okay, let me explain begging the question a little bit here. It's 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 a form of circular argument. So in other words, we say that what God says is true because what what God says is true. That's that's circular reasoning. And at the end of the day, that's what we have. And that and what Dr. Bonson is, is is trying to point out is that the atheist argument is just as circular as ours is. We both have our presuppositions. The presupposition of the atheist is just as much of a presupposition, just as circular as the argument from uh, from the Christian standpoint. Okay, so don't let that throw you when people say, oh, you're making a circular argument. You're saying God's truth is true because God said it's true. That's a circular argument. We can say the same thing. You're saying that your truth is true because man said it's true. There's got to be a source of the truth. That's where the circular argument stops in that sense. That's what Dr. Boston is trying to point out here. In advance, you 
agency, Dr. Stein is committed to disallowing any theistic interpretation of nature, history, or experience. What he seems to overlook is that this is just as much begging the question on his own part as it is on the part of the theist. Yep, so that's the point I just made. Okay, take note of that. To appeal to such evidence. He has not at all proven by empirical observation and logic his pre-commitment to naturalism. He has assumed it in advance, accepting and rejecting all further factual claims in terms of that controlling and unproven assumption. Now, the theist does the very same thing, don't get me wrong. When certain empirical evidences are put forth as allegedly disproving the existence of God, the theist regiments his commitments in terms of his presuppositions as well. And just as the naturalist would insist that Christ could not have risen from the dead or that there is a natural explanation yet to be found of how he did rise from the dead, so the supernaturalist insists that the alleged discrepancies in the Bible have an explanation, some yet to be found perhaps, and that the evil of this world has a sufficient reason behind it, known at least to God. They both have their governing presuppositions by which the facts of experience are interpreted, even as all philosophical systems, all worldviews do. At the most fundamental level of everyone's thinking and beliefs, there are primary convictions about reality, man, the world, knowledge, truth, behavior, and such things. Convictions about which all other experiences organized, interpreted, and applied. Dr. Stein has such presuppositions, and so do I, and so do all of you. And it is these presuppositions which determine what we accept by ordinary reasoning and evidence, for they are assumed in all of our reasoning, even about reasoning itself. And so I come thirdly then to the transcendental proof of God's existence. How then should the difference of opinion between the theist and the atheist be rationally resolved? That was my opening question. We've seen two of Dr. Stein's errors regarding it, the crackers in the pantry fallacy and the pretended neutrality fallacy. In the process of discussing them, we have observed that belief in the existence of God is not tested in any ordinary way like other factual claims. And the reason for that is metaphysically because of the non-natural character of God and epistemologically because of the presuppositional character of commitment for or against his existence. Arguments over conflicting presuppositions between worldviews therefore must be resolved somewhat differently and yet still rationally than conflicts over factual existence claims within a worldview or system of thought. When we go to look at the different worldviews that atheists and theists have, I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. The transcendental proof for God's existence is that without him, it is impossible to prove anything. The atheist worldview is irrational and cannot consistently provide the preconditions of intelligible experience, science, logic, or morality. The atheist worldview cannot allow for laws of logic, the uniformity of nature, the ability for the mind to understand the world and moral absolutes. And in that sense, the atheist world view cannot account for our debate tonight. Right. That's that's the, the big point there. Dr. Bronson is bringing out the fact that 
these all these things are based on a person's opinion, what they've studied, what they've learned, agreed upon this and that and the other thing. But why am I obligated to adhere to someone else's, to some man's, no matter how much evidence they show me? Why am I obligated to adhere my behavior, my worldview, my understanding of things to what they what they have discovered? What obligates me to that? See, and Dr. Dr. Bronson is going to bring this out. He's going to hammer this home every single time in this debate. Why should I adhere what I believe and what I think to your worldview? And, and we're seeing this in our culture. We're seeing this. Why should I believe what you say? What authority do you have? I don't care. Science, reason, whatever. I'm living outside of those things. I'm going to create my own reality. What can the atheist appeal to? To say that, no, there's an authority here that you must follow. You see? All right, let's continue on. Thank you, Dr. Bonson, for your opening statement. We now turn to you, Dr. Stein. You have 15 minutes opening statement, please. Can everybody hear me? I assume so. Well, I will, I will grant uh, Dr. Bonson his expertise uh, on a conditional resolution of the apparent paradox of self-deception, which was his dissertation. I don't know how much more relevant that is to our discussion tonight than mine is, probably not anymore. But, um, yeah, well, see, Dr. Stein's already missing the boat. Dr. Stein just got shot in the forehead with a flipping cannonball because what Dr. Bonson pointed out was that his area of expertise is not in religion, uh, not in religion and philosophy. And he completely missed that. He's like, wow, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Uh, you're going to see this as this goes on. Let's continue. I would like to also thank Dr. Bonson for. Uh, showing us that he really doesn't understand too much about atheism. I will try to straighten him out. This is an important question we're discussing. Perhaps it's the most important question in the whole field of religion. Because if God does not exist, then the Bible can't be the word of God, Jesus can't be the Messiah, and Christianity cannot be true as, long as, as well as other religions. So we, we're dealing with an important issue here. Now, Dr. Bonson repeated for me that the existence of God is a factual question. I, I don't think he would dispute that. I think he misinterpreted what I said when I said that that we solve factual questions in the same way. I didn't mean exactly the same way. I mean both the use of reason, logic, and evidence. And that is what I'm holding. Okay. And just on a side note, Dr. Stein is making a major error in uh, debate. Again, you know, he his expertise aren't in these things. Um, he, he doesn't understand the nature of the debate. He's making a rebuttal uh, to Dr. Bronson's opening statement, and that's not what you want to do in your opening statement. What you want to do in your opening statement is exactly what Dr. Bronson did. Bring your goods. All right. You want to make your argument. You don't want to rebut the other person's argument. That'll come later. All right. He, and he's making a major error in doing this, and he's already on the defensive. See, it's kind of like chess. And Dr. Bronson is already playing white. If you understand chess, to play white, that you have the, you have the first move. That means you have an advantage. Um, Dr. Bronson is playing white, and and Dr. Stein is already playing black by making this move. All right, just I just wanted to point that out. So 
<laughs> it's interesting. Uh, let's continue on. Now, first let me, let me uh, make clear what atheism is and is not. I think this is a very commonly misunderstood subject. Atheists do not say that, that they can prove that there's no God. They also, an atheist is not someone who denies that there is a God. Rather, an atheist says that he has examined the proofs that are offered by the theists and he finds them inadequate. Now, if I were to say that this gentleman in the, sitting on the front step could fly by flapping his arms, I would be making a kind of unusual statement, and it would be up to me or him to demonstrate that he could fly. If he can't demonstrate it, then we don't believe that he can fly. Now, if he doesn't demonstrate it right now, that doesn't mean he can't fly, it just means he can't fly right now. Now, so that we do not deny that he could fly because he can't demonstrate it right now, but we say he has not proven his case. And therefore, we do not believe that he can fly until he does so, prove so. And this is what an atheist says about the existence of God. He says the case is unproven, not disproven. So an atheist is really someone who is without a belief in God or who does not believe in a God. It is not someone who denies the existence of a God or who uh, says that one does not exist or can prove that one does not exist. Now, I think uh, I would like to define a God as well. Not- uh, you know, technically, I, I'm not going to get into this too much, but technically, uh, Dr. Stein is making an agnostic argument here. Just a just a minor point. Atheists, agnostics, I'm, you know, it's kind of all the same from my perspective. Uh, but he's really making an, an, an agnostic. He's saying we don't know. That's really the argument. And, and there's a lot of folks who, who argue for theism who say, well, there's really not any atheists. You really can't say you're an atheist because to say that you're an atheist is to say we know for sure there is no God. That's really what you have to demonstrate um, as an atheist. Um, so the atheist position is uh, – the burden of proof, in my opinion, on, on the atheist, atheist position is just as uh, burdensome as it is on the Christian position or the deist de- theistic position um you've got to prove either way all right uh dr stein is actually making an agnostic he's 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 retreating already just wanted to point that out we just got a few more minutes here left uh this is going to be fantastic um we're going to get this in a few more shows but let's see if we can get a little bit more in of dr stein before we have to finish not so sure i like his definition i'm not going to stick to just christian god i'm going to stick to all kinds of god and i'm going to use the definition which both Father Coppelson and Bertrand Russell both agreed on in their famous debate. Now, this is both sides, the leading exponents of both sides, both managed to agree on the definition of God, so I think it must be at least an adequate one, if not a great one. And this is the definition. A supreme personal being, distinct from the world and creator of the world. Now, before asking for proof of God's existence, we need a, we need this satisfactory definition. And uh, I, I think I've given one which I will find at least satisfactory, and if Dr. Bonson doesn't agree, we can hear from him. Now, nothing can qualify as evidence of the existence of a God unless we have some idea what we're searching for. That's why we need the definition. Okay, now, throughout history, 11 major kinds of evidence or proof have been offered. In my for the existence of God. In my campus visits, I have heard all kinds of other things offered as proof, but they basically fall into those eleven categories with some juggling. 
And if these 11 proofs do not work out logically or lead to logical self-contradictions, then we can only say that God's existence is not proved, it's unproven, not disproven, as I mentioned before. Now, if, if I um, assert that this gentleman can fly by flapping his arms, as I said, the burden of proof is on him. Supposing I make a more complicated statement, supposing I say that my dog can talk in complete sentences, Okay, well again, I'm making a kind of unusual statement and it's up to me to offer the evidence. So I'd better be prepared to do that or I'd better be prepared to have people not believe what I say. And I'd like a demonstration either of this gentleman flying or of my dog talking, if I were the person who was being asked to make a conclusion, before I admitted that such things were possible or existed. Okay, now how easy would it be to show that this gentleman cannot fly or that my dog cannot talk in complete sentences? As I mentioned before, uh, we get into a real problem when we're trying to show that something cannot happen or that something does not exist. For example, if, if I wanted to prove that unicorns do not exist, I can examine this room and we can find out that there are definitely no unicorns in this room, a small area. But to prove the general non-existence of something like unicorns, you have to search the entire universe simultaneously, and then we can only say that no unicorns existed at the moment we searched the universe. But, you know, maybe they were there five minutes before, or if we only searched the whole Earth, maybe they were on another planet at the time. I mean, there are all kinds of other possibilities. So you cannot prove that something does not exist. And that's why, as I mentioned before, the definition of an atheist is not someone who thinks he has proven that God does not exist because you cannot. Okay, now of those 11 major proofs, um, I'm going to go over some of them very quickly. They've been one, 900 years in the formulation, and during this 900 years, this is basically what people have come up with. The first cause argument, also called the cosmological argument, it says that everything must have a cause. Therefore, the universe had a cause, and that cause was God. God was the first or uncaused cause. Okay, well, this is this leads into a real logical bind for the theist. Because if everything must have had a cause, then God must have had a cause. If God had a cause, then he was not the first or uncaused cause. If God did not have a cause, then not everything must have a cause. If not everything needs a cause, then perhaps the universe is one of those things which doesn't need a cause. So you see that we've gotten into a logical bind there, and that proof basically fails. All right, so we're going to have to close it off for this week, but we're, we're going to pick this up back week, uh, back up next week. You already see that Dr. Stein is, is falling right into, uh, <laughs> right into Dr. Bonson's traps because Dr. Bonson has already addressed this. Yeah, it's, it's all circular argument. This whole uncaused cause thing, you know, again, we all have our presuppositions. So, um, we go back to one who is the beginning of the cause and, and argue from that presupposition, whereas atheists and agnostics and unbelievers argue from the presupposition that uh, man is the cause, um, that our understanding of the universe, uh, universe and our worldview is based on man's opinion, his reasoning, his logic, his science. See? All right. Dr. Bonson has already addressed this and debunked this already. He's already said this is a non-issue. All right. So, 
Um, we're going to continue on with this, and I, I hope you guys stick with us. This is going to be a little bit laborious, but I think it's important for you, for everybody to understand this, to understand what, what David tells us in the Psalms, to understand what uh, Paul tells us in, in, in Romans, and to say that, look, you're, you're foolish if you think there is no God, because your presupposition weighed against my presupposition, it just doesn't compare all right, we're going we're gonna to continue on with this. I hope this whets you after your appetite a little bit for this. And we're going to go on with it next week. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to In Layman's Terms. We'd love to get your feedback. Please email us at discussion at laymanstermsradio.org or send us a message on Facebook at facebook.com slash laymanstermsradio. Be sure to send me a friend request on Facebook using the name Matthew Garnett. That's the best way to keep in touch with our broadcast and to offer us feedback. Also, please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Doing so helps increase our listenership, and that in turn helps us in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And don't forget to tell your wayward pastor, worship leader, or friend about the In Layman's Term broadcast. Thank you for listening.